0: So, as you know, we're doing an Overcomers series, and our brief from Alan and Eleanor was, tell us about a time you have overcome something. And I guess looking back on our lives, we could see lots of things, little and big, that didn't quite go our way. Some things were due to circumstances that we could control, so we needed to take responsibility for them, but others were completely out of our control. So this Overcomers series is a testimony-based series, and in every testimony there is a test otherwise you just have a moany. And we all know there's enough money Christians out there. So our purpose today is not to moan at you, but to show you that in both the good times and the bad, that God is there and he has us in the palm of his hands, whether we feel him or not. In fact, I'm always reminded of that on Easter Saturday. You know, we we Remember Good Friday when Jesus died on the cross, and we celebrate Easter Sunday when he rose again. But I always, every Easter Sunday, uh, Saturday, I reflect on the fact that the silence of God doesn't equal the absence of God, and he is with us in the good times and the bad. So today, Andre and I are going to share few times that have been tough for us, and even though we couldn't always feel God's tangible presence with us every step of the way as we journeyed through these challenging times, he was with us. So let me just pray now. Father God, I thank you that you are here. Lord, I thank you that you're in this place, and Lord, I thank you that you journey with every single one of us, Lord, through whatever we're going through, and that you see every person here tonight, and you know what journey they're on. Thank you, Jesus. I pray that you'll speak through us tonight. Amen. So Andre and I got married 15 years ago, and there we are. Andre's got a bit more here, and I've got a few less chins, but those were good days. But these are good days too. Praise God. Um, and a couple of months after we got married, we headed off on our away. Um, We backpacked through Southeast Asia for a couple of months before heading to London to get jobs to earn enough for our next phase of travels. We arrived there right at the beginning of the global financial crisis, so getting jobs was a challenge. We both had a few awful jobs before we managed to find work that was fulfilling and that we enjoyed. We lived as frugally as we could so as to save as much as possible. We walked or ran everywhere we could rather than taking the trains. We ate potato salad for dinner nearly every night as it contained the cheapest ingredients that we could find. Uh, We bought a one-litre bottle of shampoo for 20 pence because it was the cheapest. I hate to think what was in it. (laughs) We lived in a dive of a flat with actors and comedians, so people more broke than us. Um, And we had a cold shower that we could feed with coins if we wanted a hot one, but we didn't do that. (laughs) It was riddled with mice. We washed our dishes before using them as mice were all through the kitchen. Since home was not a haven, we worked every hour God gave us and saved like mad so that we could move out of there. We lasted only a month in that place before, thank you God, we managed to upgrade our accommodation to a place in a flat with no rodents. It was heaven. Our room was tiny, just a double bed pushed up against two walls and about this much space at the end of the bed and maybe this much on the other side of the bed. But it was all we needed. We were happy. After a winter in London, we bought a V-dub camper van, and I've got a photo of it. There we go. There's Andre with our van. That became home for us. Um, So we kissed our jobs goodbye and headed off on our travels again. We had an amazing trip. We had some of the best times of our lives, did some of the craziest things we've ever done and had some of the worst times of our lives. We didn't have much of value. This was back in the olden days, before smartphones and tablets and GoPros and all of those things. But we decided that we'd have a valuables bag so that we'd keep with us at all times. So into that bag went our passports, our wallets, our phones, our camera, our video camera. They were two separate items back in the day. Um, And our car sat nav, also another separate item. Um, We carried that bag wherever we went. It meant that if somebody broke into our van, they couldn't get our really valuable stuff. One afternoon in Seville, in Spain, we sat down in a beautiful central park to enjoy the sunshine. We had some time to kill, so we cranked out the pack of cards that was also in the valuables bag and played a game of two-handed 500. I'd taken the bag off and was leaning against it, and Andre was effectively looking right at it so it was nice and safe. As we were playing, a fairly well-dressed tourist came up to us with a map. He was clearly lost. He said, excusez-moi, blah, 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 in French. Um, I was stoked to have the chance to try out my very shoddy traveller's French on a real person. um, And replied, je ne comprends pas, monsieur, vous parlez anglais? And he switched to English and and asked us for directions. Andre and I both leaned over his map, showing him where we were and, and where he wanted to go and how to get there. We returned to our game, and when we were ready to leave, I turned to grab the bag. Andre, where's our bag? I don't have it. You're you're kidding me, right? You're playing a trick on me? The French guy! We realised we'd fallen for the old distract and snatch trick. And unfortunately for us, that bag held every worldly item of value that we owned. The two weeks that followed were among the toughest weeks of our lives. We had to make police reports in a foreign country, apply for new passports, and then drive six hours back to Madrid to reapply in person for our UK working visas before leaving Spain. It seemed there was always a festival or a siesta, or we effect- so we effectively camped out at the British consulate for a couple of weeks. In the midst of this, we were joined by a friend who wasn't in a particularly good headspace after she'd had a tough couple of months, and she needed a lot of TLC and piecing back together. Anyone who knows me knows I'm not the most pastoral person, so I found it quite challenging. And then she announced that she was planning to travel with us for two months. And we were like, crikey, we're in for a tough few months. God, give us strength. (laughs) We were watching our hard-earned money trickle through our fingers as we waited in limbo for our travel paperwork and tried to piece our lives back together. We'd budgeted £1,000 per month for the two of us to live and travel on, and we were watching months shave off our travel budget as we tried to replace the items we'd had stolen from us. Eventually, the British consulate was able to finalise the processing of our replacement visas at the end of a day on a Friday, so we raced back to our van and hit the road, eager to get out of Madrid and desperate to make up for the lost time. We headed straight for the coast, determined not to stop until we got to Barcelona. At about 1am, we were driving on the motorway. Our friend was asleep in the back of the van, so Andre and I were enjoying some quality time, reflecting on the previous couple of weeks and thanking God for looking after us through all our dramas and thanking him that they were now behind us. Life was looking up for us again after a couple of weeks of battling. Suddenly, our trusty van overheated. I couldn't believe it. We finally felt like we were making progress, and something else came to knock us back. Something that looked like it was going to chew up a whole lot more of our precious time and money. As I stood on the side of the road in the wee small hours of the morning, while my amazing husband took a look at the motor by torchlight, I must admit my internal conversation with God was honest, but not particularly polite or respectful. It was all, where are you, God? What the heck are you thinking? We've just fluffed around for a couple of weeks when we could have had the van looked at, but no, this had to happen right when we thought our problems were behind us and we were trying to make up for lost time. <laughs> then God totally humbled me and brought to mind one of my old memory verses from when I was a kid. It's found in First Thessalonians 5, verse 18. Give thanks... In all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I just had to laugh. It was either that or cry. I couldn't quite get my head around it. I'm to give thanks because this is part of God's will for me. Stink plan, God, but okay, I'll give it a go. Thank you, God, for good health. But I've been so stressed I haven't slept for days. Thank you, God, for good friends, but the one in the back seat of our van is a pain in the neck. (laughs) Thank you, God, for a great family. It's just a shame they're all on the other side of the world. Thank you, God, that you have a plan for my life, but I could do with a bit more favour right now. Yep, I had it down. But I didn't really. However, as time went on and I practised giving thanks more, a change occurred in me. I stopped adding my ifs and buts to the end of my thanks, I started to mean it more. Over time, a real, deep, genuine gratitude to God grew in me. I became less of an entitled brat and more genuinely thankful. It seemed everywhere I looked, there was so much to be thankful for. I was on this amazing adventure with my wonderful new husband. We were able to share these incredible experiences together and tackle challenges together as a team, Life was awesome, and I had so much to be thankful for. It didn't mean our troubles disappeared, but my perspective on them certainly did. We didn't know it at the time, but the van overheating in that moment was the beginning of months of motor issues. We visited mechanics in nearly every country in Europe, and I've got a slide There's, um, there we go, there we are, two different mechanics, one in Italy and and then the other one's on the back of a tow truck in Turkey. We ended up having the motor fully reconditioned, which helped but didn't completely solve the problem. But it meant we met a whole bunch of locals that we never would have met and had a whole bunch of experiences that we never would have had. There we are, with some of the locals, some of our friends. Um, that we ne- If we'd stuck to the tourist trail, none of this would have happened. Thank you, God. We limped around Europe in our van, which was home to us. It got so bad at the end that Andre would be up the front driving, and I'd be sitting in the back where the motor was, pouring bottles of water directly into the cooling system as we drove we got to the point that we just had to cut our losses and ditch the van, which was heartbreaking as it was the end of a dream, but it was character strengthening. Thank you, God. (laughs) With an attitude of gratitude, I was constantly counting my blessings and nothing seemed impossible for God and me to handle together. These challenges contributed to the adventure and I was able to genuinely give thanks in every situation. It says in James 1, verses 2 to 4, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, I don't think I'm quite at the pure joy phase, I'm a work in progress. And there are definitely times I can let my circumstances get me down. This first doesn't necessarily mean that we enjoy tough times, but changing our perspective on them can make the journey through challenges so much easier. And the person who benefits the most is us. Being grumpy and discontented and down on the world is exhausting. And nobody really wants to spend time with somebody who's wallowing in self pity. We'd all rather spend time with people who are fun and upbeat and have a positive and thankful attitude towards life. Now, I'm not not—I'm definitely not trying to minimise whatever struggle you're facing now or whatever hurdles you may have had to overcome yourself. I'm not trying to say, chin up, paste on a smile and off we go. Tough times don't last, but tough people do. Let's just soldier on. I'm also not trying to tell you to sweep your emotions under the carpet. I guess I'm trying to say... Choose the lens through which you look at your struggles. You know, if I look at Eleanor here in the front row through blue lens glasses, and then again through red lens glasses, I'd be looking at the same person, but different things would be highlighted. Similarly, if I was trying to take a photo of Charmaine from here and chose to focus just on her, she'd be in focus, but the rest of you would all be blurry. But by shifting my focus slightly... I can see Charmaine in a little more context and you'd all come into focus. I can't see everything. I can't zoom far enough out that I can see the whole world, but I don't need to. That's God's job. When we look at the world and our circumstances and our struggles through a thankful lens, with an attitude of gratitude, we can find an inner joy. And that's what will flow over into our interactions with others. If I was racing through the atrium and carelessly crashed into Victor carrying a tray of coffees to someone, coffee would spill all over the floor, right? And because Victor is really gracious and patient, he'd simply say, oh dear, look at what has happened here. What are we going to do? Not to worry, I'll go and get a cloth and you just stand here and make sure nobody slips over on this mess. Now, why did Victor spill coffee on the floor? Was it because I crashed into him? No, he spilt coffee because he had coffee on his tray. If he'd had cups of tea, he would have spilt tea. When we collide with tough times, it's what's inside us that spills out. So let's determine to put good things in. Let's have a heart of gratitude. Let's decide to give thanks in all circumstances. Let's find that joy when we're facing troubles so that when we do collide with problems, we're still a nice person to be around. This is a decision that I have to make constantly, sometimes on a daily basis. I have to choose to give thanks in all circumstances. It doesn't always just come naturally. There have been times in my life when I've grieved so deeply. Somebody very close to me when I was younger battled clinical depression for many years before taking his own life. It was hard to give thanks in that situation, but I still had a lot to be thankful for. There have been other times in my life I've felt so vulnerable. I once spent two nights by myself sleeping on an airport floor in Bulgaria with no food, no water and no money, but I still had a lot to be thankful for. There have been other times in my life I've felt so alone. I studied in Christchurch and when I finished uni I got a job in Christchurch, but all my mates found work in other centres across the country. All of a sudden I had no friends in town but I still had a lot to be thankful for. God has a plan. Sometimes we don't feel it, and sometimes we don't even feel him. But the silence of God certainly doesn't mean the absence of God. And walking with him is the best decision we can make. I want to leave you with a challenge before I pass over to Andre. To give thanks in all situations, in all circumstances, like it says in 1 Thessalonians It's a challenge for all of us, not to approach him with our moaning and our shopping lists of things we want him to do for us, but to take time just to love him, to tell him what he means to us, to choose to see the daily blessings that he gives us, and to thank him for them. Life is so much more fulfilling when we do, and with God, we can overcome anything. I'd like to introduce you to Andre, my better half.
1: I've never heard a uh, wife introduce the husband as the better half. Radio, hey, um, I just want to give you a bit of an understanding of, of some characters of myself um, before I sort of get into my story, and it sort of a, explains a bit why I got into some difficulty. Um, I'm one who likes a challenge. I am an optimist, or some might say an internal optimist. I can be quite an emotional character. I get excited very easily. And if you ever see me rubbing my hands like this, particularly last night in the rugby game, you know I'm getting excited. As well as seeing the best in a situation, I see the best in others and sometimes miss the things to be wary of. My wife thinks I suffer from time blindness. In other words, five minutes can become an hour very quickly. I'm a risk taker. When it comes to investing, I don't need everything figured out before I jump right in. This along with frequently underestimating how hard something is and being an optimist gets me in trouble from time to time. Anyway, my story. Just over five years ago when our youngest Scarlett was born um, and we already had a one, three and five year old, I took on a new job in Gordington on the outskirts of Hamilton working for Gavin's Limited. I found that I got clearly from the Lord to take the job on despite the distance. I was actually introduced to the Gavins by a prophetic speaker who came to speak here at the church. So I thought, oh, it had to be right. At the same time, we purchased a new development property that I again thought God had provided the opportunity for. We were able to add a couple more parcels of land to it, and which gave us a large investment right on the harbour to which we planned to build a bunch of townhouses. I thought, wow, God has blessed me with such a great opportunity. I remember catching up with uh, Pastor Alan at the time at Nourish Cafe in Tapuna uh, to discuss working in Gordonton. And he said something along the lines of, the clearer the calling, the harder the journey. Well, the last five years has been a bit of a grind. It has felt at times like we've gone from one crisis to the next. Partly due to circumstances within, within my control and partly those that were not. Most of the challenges actually arose from the decision to take on this development. Um, here's some of the reasons why. We tried building in a swamp within close proximity to hostile neighbours who eventually complained, who continued complained or reported me to the council every five minutes for mostly fabricated issues. No, not all fabricated. <laughs> <laughs> it resulted in many visits from council and a, la- a number of council appointed experts being on site during earthworks. At one stage, the project had half had a half-page article on, on the second page of the BOP Times and two video articles in the New Zealand Herald. This all for the wrong reasons. Um, other issues. While waiting for a, um, a contractor to build a retaining wall, I had a geotech tell me the slope at the back of the property was about to collapse and take a house of mine and the neighbours with it as the cracks were, about to, about to, were appearing in the ground. Somewhat stressful. COVID lockdowns, the rapid rise in building materials and the... Co- uh, sorry, COVID lockdowns, rapid rise in building material costs and lack of availability of materials all compounding to the issues which is not uncommon obviously in the last couple of years but still an issue we had to face uh, running out of money facing a, a, so facing a double digit interest rate for effectively the whole build right up to only about a month ago uh, the bank telling us at one stage we had to sell uh, cowboy, cowboy tradies not turning up doing a shoddy, completely shoddy job and fighting on site I actually had to ban two guys from the site because of getting into fisticuffs. A server telling me I had built through a height restriction and neighbours demanding a large sum of money in compensation for the breach. Funny enough, he made a mistake, fortunately. Not after two months of stressing about it. Thieves taking materials and tools on a number of occasions contractors who laid the council sewer manhole in the wrong location leading to a partial redesign of the foundations for their houses. Actually, the whole sewer line was a problem, and it still is today after trying to lay it three times. And effectively, sort of looking back on it, it pretty much got to a point of burnout. But I want to say, by God's grace, we have managed to overcome each, each issue as it arose, and now are in a much better position today. My fundamental worldview is that God wants us to live in a life where we grow and prosper. I believe he wants us to see us, sorry, he wants to see us exercise the gifts he has placed in our lives. I believe he wants us to excel and achieve great things and become great people. People are influenced for his glory. I think Genesis 1 verse 28 backs it up. We God blessed Adam and Eve and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Jeremiah 29 verse 11 For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. All of us here this evening are probably facing some challenge or obstacle. We are probably all at different stages in a pursuit of a God given dream or vision. I'm conscious that some of here may have pursued a God-given vision or opportunity, but have felt that they have failed and have, as a result, have questioned God about it. Others may have a vision, but are fearful to take that leap of faith. But I have the following four points, which I'd love to share with you, that hopefully will give you some encouragement. So point one is, even the promised land had giants. God never promised us an easy ride in life, but he did promise to go before us, to be with us, to prepare the way, and that he will not fail us. Becoming a Christian for the early um, New Testament church meant that they were likely to be persecuted, and there are many Christians today that are still being persecuted for their faith. Take the Israelites as an example. They were rescued from captivity in Egypt and began a journey to a promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. However, they got stuck in the wilderness for 40 years because they perceived there to be giants in the land and therefore were not willing to walk into the promise that God had for them. You can read about this in Numbers chapters 13 and 14, but here are some of the key verses starting in chapter 13, verse 1. It says here, "'And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, "'Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, "'which I am giving to the children of Israel,' From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. So Moses sent from them sent them from the wilderness of Paran according to the command of the Lord. All of them men who were heads of the children of Israel. Keep point here is that they were leaders from each tribes. They were elite men. So they went into the land of Canaan and brought back massive fruit. One bunch of grapes took two men to carry it on poles between them. But what happened, is we read on in, chapter, um, in verse 27, when they, when they came back, all these spies that were sent into, into the promised land, they came back and they gave this report. They said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell on the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Anak was a giant. Then Caleb Quietened the people before Moses and said, "Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it." But the men who had gone up with them said, "We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we." And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they spied out, saying, "The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature." There we saw the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. So in getting to your God-given dream or calling, there will be obstacles. I can guarantee it. It takes a bit of wisdom to figure out if the obstacles are because we are not walking in his will, or because we are in fact are in his will. Only you can figure that out through wise counsel. But don't be discouraged if you come up against giants. Uh, yeah. So my second point is, have a different spirit. Now, Numbers 4, chapter 14, if we read on in verses 24, talks about Caleb. Um, it says here, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. Despite the obstacles we perceive we have, real or not, we need to have the right attitude or different spirit toward God and his word, just like Caleb did. I think we're all a bit like sheep and can really easily get caught up in being like the rest of the world and go along with what everyone else is thinking. But Caleb, he had a different spirit and followed God's leading completely. Completely he had the attitude and expectation that god had promised it and therefore god was faithful to fulfill it. Caleb was unwavering. It takes a whole heap of guts to go up against what everyone else is saying, particularly when they are about to stone you. It would have been so easy to agree with them, but he didn't. For this god rewarded him. Caleb didn't look at the problem, he focused on god and his promise. He had, a, he had a faith in God. He knew that all things are possible for those who fully trust in him. My third point is this. Remember, the battle is the Lord's. I like to think I can manage things my, by myself, and I can figure it out on my own. I like to think I am almost self-sufficient, but boy, do I really know that I'm not. But every crisis I have, and there have been many, Keep bringing me to my knees. Maybe that is why I have so many issues, because God just wants me to talk to him. (laughs) In the early stages when we were doing the earthworks at the development, we had a situation that meant we potentially had another $50,000 of earthworks to do. But on this occasion, I prayed about it, probably more than I normally do. My digger driver decided we should get the geotech in for another opinion. Long story short, we didn't have to do all this additional work and saved a chunk of cash. Then my non Christian digger driver said to me, I had a feeling about this. And he explained to me that not everything in life is explained by the physical, but there's a spiritual element. <laughs> I fell over almost. This led me to be able to share with him that I had been praying for the situation and that was an answer to prayer. In the Bible, we can read a few examples where God took control of the battle. In 2 Chronicles 20, you can read about how a vast army made up of Moabites, Ammonites, came against King Jehoshaphat. Now, led by the Spirit, a guy by the name of Jehazareel said to Jehoshaphat in verse 15, he said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judea and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be def- be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. We can also think about David when fighting Goliath in First Samuel seventeen, uh, and here in front of Goliath, David said this: that all those gathered here would know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give all of you into our hands. Amazing. When we say that the battle is not ours, but the Lord's, what we're effectively doing is surrendering the situation to God. It is letting go and letting God deal to the problem. It is praising him for the victory. Back to Jehoshaphat's battle in Second Chronicles. Verse 17, it says, You will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. O Judea, Judea and Jerusalem, do not feel, be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, for the Lord is with you. The result is obviously they both won. I just have a couple of verses here that I find really encouraging in regards to overcoming. 1 John 4 verse 4 says, You dear children are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And 1 John 5, verse 5, who is it that overcomes? The world. The one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And John 6, verse 25 says, Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. That's the work, just to believe. Wow. And my last point is, point four, once you have done all you can, remain standing. In some ways, it's a little bit ironic that we did this very difficult and long-drawn-out development on Churchill Road. (laughs) Having looked into historical town planning maps, I found out the street was named after Winston Churchill, the famous British Prime Minister who led Britain during the Second World War. He was known for his speeches, one of which was the following, Never give in, never give in. Never, 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 never in nothing, great or small, large or petty, never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. In the Amplified Bible, um, reading from Ephesians 6 verse 10, uh, about the armor of God, it says this in verse 13. Therefore, put on the complete armor of God so that you'll be able to successfully resist and stand your ground in the evil day of danger. And having done everything that the crisis demands, to stand firm in your place, fully prepared, immovable, victorious. So stand firm and hold your ground. To stand your ground is an active word to me. Not just a passive standstill. We need to stand upon the word of God and his promises. Even after we have done all we can, we need, still need to stand up against the giants we face. And just one last, last scripture as an encouragement is Galatians 6 verse 9, which says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So uh, that's pretty much my story. But I just want to offer a chance for people for prayer this evening. Uh, Particularly those people in my heart, those who may be currently walking through a a challenging time or or, or facing the giant. Um, Or those who feel just worn out and burnt out and just really just want a touch from the Holy Spirit, a touch from God. Uh, But also for those, second group would be for those who believe um, they have a God-given dream or vision or word, but haven't seen it come to pass, or maybe feel that they have failed in some way, that, um, that, that yeah, that they still haven't seen that happen, but would like prayer um, for that word or for that vision to come to pass.